Morning, everyone. Um, always a, a real privilege to get to speak to you. God is good, isn't he? And um, I think every time I'm asked to, to speak, I, I think it's such a privilege to get to speak to the people of God. I felt, obviously, uh, God gave me a word on the back of uh, our three-part series. Uh, but going into the Bexhill uh, prayer meeting this morning, I felt that my preach changed slightly. I think it's okay, because God is constantly speaking, and I, I feel that we, we shouldn't be rigid. When God speaks, I think we should be open and say, yes, Lord, you know. So we will be looking at following Jesus in a countercultural kingdom, um, but hopefully some notes would come up, but there might be a few changes, because I, I believe with all my heart that God loves to keep things fresh. Uh, so my notes were prepared sometime in the week, which uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But between then and now, God has still been speaking. And for me, I'm asking God, God, what do you want your people to hear? Uh, do you see what I mean? And because God is constantly speaking, he's speaking fresh things. And so it's okay to sometimes just set the old notes aside. I will be using them, but just saying, God, what would you like us to hear? Amen. How about that? I, I also just need to mention quickly that I, I mean, often when I, when I preach or speak, I, I would share some examples. I'd like to say that they are not in any way meant to be the standard. They are just meant to encourage and to equip. Jesus is the standard. So nobody should be thinking, oh, how I wish I could be. No, 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 no. We're all, we're all running different races. Focus the same, but it's like being in the Olympics. Some are going for the 100-meter sprint, some are in the marathon, some are, you know, doing the javelin and all that, all for the glory of God, but different things. And God is working different things in all of us. So to just mention that examples from our own lives or our own experiences with God are just meant to encourage, they are in no way meant to be the standard. Shall we pray together and then we can turn to God's word? Father God, I, I thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you were fully God, but you set aside your glory and you became man. You stepped into a world you had created. You were obedient to the Father, and this obedience took you to death, death on a cross. I thank you, Jesus, that when you died, you were buried, but on the third day, you rose again, and you are alive forever. Jesus, I thank you that you're here with us now. And my cry is this, show us your glory. Show us your glory, Lord Jesus. Show us your glory. We want to be captivated by you again. Come and refresh our souls. Come and speak to our spirits. Come, Jesus, and just draw us deeper and deeper and deeper to yourself. I thank you that our, our lives are hidden in Christ. We have died and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. We rejoice greatly in that. 
And we want to thank you, Jesus, that you will appear again. Thank you that when you appear, we shall appear with you. What glorious truth. What, what, what glory to look forward to. Thank you that the worst is behind us because we have died. The worst is behind us. And we look forward to glorious times with you, Lord Jesus. And so come and help me as I serve your church. Come, Lord, and speak to our hearts. Come, Jesus, and make yourself known. We thank you. Amen. As Alex said, my name is Sam. I'm married to Claire. We have two boys. We're part of the Bexhill venue, and we, we love serving uh, the church. We, we love serving the purposes of God. Uh, this last week, I, I had a bit of a, a challenge. I'm, I'm generally not afraid of stuff, but last week, I was scared stiff. And the reason was because I had a doctor's appointment. When I, I sat a while back with the doctor and shared with the doctor the symptoms, he looked at me and he said, oh dear, you've got to have some serious, you know, tests done. It scared me. For about a whole month, I was really, really, now I'm being, I'm being very honest with you. I have never been that scared in my life. I was so looking for something to hold on to. And so I would often come into the meeting asking God, God, speak something to my heart. Please give me a word, something to encourage me, something to keep me good. I found solace in Psalm 112 verse 7 where it says about the fact that those who trust in the Lord will not be afraid of bad news. You know that verse? I would hold on to that. Yeah, those who trust in the Lord will not. So even if it's bad news, I will not be afraid. It didn't particularly help. The next minute I found that, you know, fear had come again. I don't know whether it's just me. It looks like you're all, all good. You, you never get afraid of stuff. It looks like it's just me. But I held on to that verse. It did me some good. And then suddenly fear came again. So I went into the meeting because uh, the procedure was last Monday. So the Sunday before last Monday, I went into the meeting. And then Adrian Pearsglove, brother's verse from Hebrews about the fact that we can approach the throne of God with confidence and find grace and, and, and mercy in our time of need. And listen, church, I, I grabbed onto that. I'm like, God, this is you to me. I held on to that. Monday morning, I'm sitting waiting for this not-so-nice procedure. I'm waiting. Suddenly, fear comes again. And I'm sitting there all shaky. And then in that God moment, this lovely nurse, she's actually part of Kings. I don't know whether you're here. You probably don't know what you did for me in that moment. She comes and then she, so I'm sitting, I was asked to fill out this form, sitting, filling this form. And then she comes and she says, oh, I, I know you. You're one of the pastors at Kings. I said, oh yeah, I know you because I, I recognize her. And then in that moment, she said, I told her why I was there. And then she said to me, you will be fine. Those were just the words. She says, you don't have to worry you will be fine. In that moment, it felt like fear just... And suddenly, faith... It felt like I was three times my height. In just those words of, you, you don't have to worry. You will be fine. And I'm just sharing to encourage us because oftentimes we are not aware of the things we say to one another. You can be such encouragement to one another. By the words you speak, all she needed to say was, you will be fine. And suddenly, 
I go into the, you know, I go in with all the confidence. You know, I'm so full of, I mean, the procedure was fine. There were no problems. Praise God for that. But proud to go in, in man, I was scared. But in that moment of this nest, I don't know whether you're here. You don't, you don't have to. But in that moment of just speaking those words of encouragement, suddenly faith. I believe it was a God moment. And God uses us, the church and the community. Let's continue to be a blessing to one another. Anyway, we can turn to God's word now. This is all part of God's word. So what are we looking at again? Somebody remind me, please. Following Jesus. Yes, I was just kidding. Following Jesus in a countercultural kingdom. When I, when I think about this, I, I think kingdoms in conflict. The fact that on the one hand we are part of the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is in conflict with the kingdoms of the world. And I felt God gave me a picture to help us, especially if we're going to continue to follow Jesus in a countercultural kingdom. This is the example. You got, you're sitting next to two radio sets. They are all blaring. So basically... You can't hear either of them. I felt God say they are like these kingdoms in conflict. One of them, the kingdom of God. The other one, the kingdoms of this world. Now, what you need to do is to turn down the volume on the kingdoms of this world. Literally, get off your seat, walk up to the radio, turn down the volume of the kingdoms of this world. And guess what you're going to hear better? News coming through from the kingdom of God. You see, it's not a passive thing. If we are going to follow Jesus, we have to do it actively. We, we, need, to, we need to take certain steps. If we just sit back and say, oh, well, I will follow Jesus. No, it doesn't work that way. The kingdoms of this world are going to rock your boat and sometimes even get you in the water. We've, we've got to take some active steps. Turn down the volume here, raise the volume there. And in so doing, we can hear God clearly. This morning, I want to focus on the whole subject of obedience because I think it's such a, a vital subject. And so as we consider following Jesus, Jesus is our example. I want us to look at how Jesus sets us a good example of obedience to the Father, but to try to set this in context for us, because obviously, if we're wanting to follow Jesus, then we want to learn from his example, and so if we consider, Paul says to us, if you turn in your Bibles to Philippians and to chapter 2, Philippians and to chapter 2, this is what Paul says to us, Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, to try to set things in context for us. What, what is God's plan for people? Granted that we have been saved 
and received new life from the Lord Jesus. Well, what does God intend to do? I want to say to us that God wants his people to become like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus is the will of God for the people of God. Not a better you, not a better me, but becoming like Jesus. Because there's nothing quite like a better me. Do you know what I mean? God wants everyone who has received his son to become more and more like him. And there's a biblical basis for these three texts that I would want us to, to hold together in our thinking and in our living. Romans 8 verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then 1 John 3 verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Hallelujah. So three perspectives, all pointing in the same direction. There's God's eternal purpose. This is it. We have been predestined. There's God's historical purpose. We are being changed or transformed by the Holy Spirit. And then there's God's final purpose. We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So it is in this context that I effectively would set my message of obedience because if God's ultimate plan for you and for me is to follow in Jesus' footsteps, then we want to look at the life of Jesus and then see what we can learn from him. Colossians 2 verse 6 says, just as you received the Lord Jesus Christ, continue to live in him. And that's the challenge for every child of God. If you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the challenge is continue to live in him. What is obedience? As that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. It's one of those words that never sounds like fun, obedience. It's not really nice. No, I don't want to be obedient. I don't want to. It feels like an obligation, like something we have to do that doesn't seem very fun. And oftentimes we, we doubt the motives of those asking us to obey because we, we think our way will be better. Jesus, however, sets the ultimate example for us. Listen, Jesus is our older brother. He's our big brother. He is our ultimate standard. Jesus is our example. Jesus is your example and my example. As you, you, you work your way through the Gospels, something stands out and it's Jesus' obedience to the Father. I was amazed as I read through John's Gospel again. I thought, wow, such obedience to the Father. And that's the challenge for us today. What, however, is biblical obedience? Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, I have no idea what that is, says to us that biblical obedience is to hear God's word and act accordingly. Edmund's Bible Dictionary says biblical obedience involves the physical hearing that inspires the hearer and a belief of trust that in turn motivates the hearer to act in accordance with the speaker's desires. 
So therefore, we see that biblical obedience is about the heart attitude towards a higher authority. It is not about rules and regulations. It is a belief or trust in one who is higher than us. And as Jesus sets us an example, we see that Jesus trusted the Father. Jesus yielded his life to the Father. Jesus completely submitted to the Father's will. He didn't have to, but he did that completely. And as we look at that Philippians passage, I'm going to be focusing on that. Paul says, have the same mind among yourselves. You see, the God of creation demonstrated what obedience looked like when he placed himself in a manger. Think about that for a minute. The God of creation, God who created all things, started that walk of obedience when he, he placed himself in a manger with animals. It wasn't a place for a king. It wasn't. Kings, they would say, are born in palaces. It wasn't a place for a king. It wasn't somebody so, well, is he really God? As that baby lay in that manger crying, are we aware that that baby was fully God? Think about that for a minute. Jesus didn't have to. We see that Jesus left footprints of obedience every step of the way. Footprints of obedience that were left by a heart of humility. He didn't have to be born in a cradle. Jesus didn't have to clothe himself with flesh. He didn't have to tolerate those who persecuted him. He didn't have to endure the pain of the crown of thorns, the whips or nails, he didn't have to hang naked on the cross in agony as soldiers mocked him and those he was dying for gazed on him with disgust. He didn't have to do that. He could have chosen a different path. Listen, brothers and sisters, Jesus was there in the beginning. The Bible says he was there in the beginning. He had the fullness of God in him. He was equal to God. I and the Father are one. He was equal to God, but he made himself nothing. He could have gone his own way. Jesus, however, chose the way of obedience, a trusting, submitting, yielding, and complete surrendering to God. Jesus, in making this choice, was effectively saying, I am not my own. I belong to another and I will therefore yield and surrender completely to another God in this case. His entire life and ministry was orchestrated by the Father. But Jesus was careful to carry out every detail according to the will of the Father. Every single detail. Are you aware that your life is orchestrated by God? Think up, take time to think about that. You are not your own. You are not your own. You belong to God. And if we understand that, it means therefore that even before we take a step, we are thinking, God, 
which way do you want me to go? If we understand that, it means that when God says, I want you to go that way, because we realize that we are not our own but belong to God, we do that. Even when, we, when we're not too certain, even when we don't understand fully, we belong to God. Back to the Philippians passage. Paul says, have the same mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. What, what did he mean by that? Basically, he was saying, as, as believers, as children of God, the, the, the things that seemed important to Jesus should be the things that are important for us. The things that Jesus was passionate about should be the things that we are passionate about. The principles that he held dear should be the principles that we hold dear. The way Jesus made his choices should be the way we make our choices. Jesus was tempted by Satan. Turn all these stones to bread. To be very honest with you, it was me, I would quickly have done it because he had been fasting and he was hungry. I would have done, I would, oh, quick, I would have done it immediately. No, Jesus says, no, I've got, the Father's got a plan for me. I am not bending any rules. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms. No, I'm not doing that. It is written. What was Jesus' response on every occasion? It is written. Effectively, the Father has said. He wouldn't be distracted. When they tried to make him king on a few occasions in the Gospels, no, he wouldn't have that either. If it was me and people wanted to make me king, I would have gone, come on, do it now. Make me king now. All the successes that Jesus had, he didn't get to his head. He had a goal in mind. He was heading to the cross. He didn't get to him. Even the betrayal of one of his closest friends, he had a goal in mind, and he was going for that. Paul says, have that same mind. We, we, we know nothing about the conditions of Jesus' heavenly state. The Bible doesn't tell us much about, obviously, life before he became man. And I, I often say that I don't like to build doctrine out of silence. And so if the Bible is silent about something, I wouldn't say anything. Because, obviously, it, it's not clear from Scripture what Jesus' state was like. But one thing we know for certain is that God became man. That much we know. That is the testimony of the Bible that God so loved the world that he sent his only son into our world. God, ah, such exciting news. God became man that he could walk my walk, that he could talk my talk, that he could experience the things that I have to go through. God became man in Christ Jesus. This change of God becoming man was a voluntary decision. Jesus chose to. He, he emptied himself. Paul says to us in Philippians, he emptied himself. He basically became nothing. He, he humbled himself. He set himself on a path of self-denial. It's not about me. It's about the Father. Now, the big question is, 
when Jesus, who was fully God, became man, did that in any way lessen the fact that he was fully God? When Jesus, who was fully God, became fully man, did it lessen the fact that he was fully God? Now here we tread cautiously. These are challenging ones. But I'd like to demonstrate. I felt God help me out with this. I'm going to need two volunteers, please, because my cloth is pretty huge. So if two guys could just come up and help me open this up, that would be great, please. Any two people can come up. Just, yeah. And then if you can... This is Ghanaian fabric, by the way. It's called Kinked. It's lovely, isn't it? Great. All right. If you guys just put this around my shoulders, please. Before then, I just need to. Now, you need to just watch this closely, all right? We'll try to work out some mysteries here. So if Jesus, who was... All right, guys, just hold on a minute. I do. I love you guys very much. If Jesus, who was fully God, became fully man, did that in any way lessen the fact that he was fully God? For now, you guys have to just assume I'm Jesus, all right? I think I do look like him anyway. Yeah, made in the image of God, isn't it? All right, so Jesus fully God. Okay, guys, now please put the cloth all around me. You've got to leave my face, though, just to make sure I'm all kind of like hidden in there. So now Jesus, this is Jesus becoming fully man. Now, did it lessen his being fully God? I don't think it did. Jesus as man was also fully God. What I think Jesus did was to just conceal his being fully God. It didn't, it didn't lessen his glory. It didn't lessen his power. It didn't lessen his authority. He just concealed it. And so therefore, some people saw Jesus as man. Isn't that the carpenter? We know him. They saw the side. Some people, however, like the woman at the well, says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She saw a bit of the man and then also a bit of who? Of God. All right? Mary and Martha, I think it was Martha, she said, I believe you are the son of God. When Jesus came to see them after Lazarus had died, she saw a bit of the man, but also a bit of God. The blind man whose eyes Jesus opened. Initially, when he was asked, he said, that man healed me. Then he said, he's a prophet. And then eventually Jesus appears to him and says, do you believe the son of man? The blind man says, show me. Jesus says to him, 
I who am standing here before you, I'm he. And the Bible says he worshipped him. It started with Jesus the man. It went on to the prophet and then suddenly Jesus as God. Thank you very much, guys. And I think the question for us is, how do you see Jesus? Do you just see him as a man? That's just one aspect. Or do you see him as fully God, the son of God? In Jesus Christ, God became man. He didn't lessen his glory in any way. He poured out himself, found in human form, but also fully God. So this is the picture to just help us understand. This is the sequence of Paul's thinking in Philippians. Jesus, who was fully God, became human. That is, he was found in human form. He humbled himself. The way Jesus humbled himself was by becoming obedient. This obedience that Jesus embraced was so complete that it also willingly embraced death, even death on the cross. And the Bible often talks about this cup. Between being born in the likeness of man at one end of Jesus' life and death on the cross at the other end, we find a life of self-humbling obedience from Jesus Christ. He is our example. Obedient from beginning to the end. Jesus demonstrated his obedience to the Father in three ways. In his coming to earth, in his seeking to do the Father's will, and then thirdly, in his obedience climaxed in his death. I also want to mention quickly that Jesus' obedience brings us benefits. There are eternal benefits to the obedience of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, we would still be in our sins. If Jesus hadn't given his life, we would still be in our sins. There would be no hope. We would still be condemned. But because of his obedience... There are, we have eternal benefits of peace, joy, and everlasting life. Well, another benefit is also the fact that Jesus, because he, he suffered as he learned obedience, he is sympathetic to our cause. He understands us. He knows. He learned obedience experientially. So when we suffer, he understands. He's the high priest who is fully sympathetic to our cause. He understands. How should Jesus' obedience affect my obedience? How should it affect your obedience? I believe that Jesus' obedience sets the goal for you and for me. Jesus' desire was to do the Father's will, eventually ending up on the cross. It means that we also humble ourselves and die to what we want to do, even when it is hard. We learn to die each day, even when it's hard. 
when I moved to this country, when we moved here, first thing God said to me was, I didn't send you there to go chasing money. I had my plan. I was going to go work, 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 make lots of money. God said, I didn't send you there to go. I'm like, well, God, then you give me a job. Then if you, you, you don't want me to go. He, he made that very, very clear. And it was one of those ones that you, you find quite hard, especially when, you know, there's that job and that one and this one. Oh, I, I could actually, I could do that. I could do this. I could, you know, God said, no, 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 no. It's going to be a trading time for you. I had to learn obedience. When we were just about settling into life in Hastings, we have some amazing elders. Suddenly, we start hearing, would you guys consider moving to Bexhill? Praise the Lord. We, have, we were just about, you know, beginning to, you know, we kind of like have just settled down in Hastings. But we thought, well, look, God is leading us. God is leading the leaders. We thought, yeah, we'll do it. So Bexhill, I don't know where God's going to lead next. But sometimes there are costs involved. In fact, most times there are. One thing that has helped me over the years, especially when it comes to suffering or effectively, you know, counting the cost, is to always think about Jesus' example. He is our big brother. Think about Jesus on the cross. And that helps you go through it. Well, the other way Jesus' obedience affects our obedience is the fact that Jesus emphasizes how important obedience is. He makes it a condition for our relationship, and he calls us to obedience. You see, brothers and sisters, it is not enough to recognize the authority of Scripture as the voice of God. God wants us to honor that authority by our own obedience. He calls us to be obedient. Jesus illustrates with his own life and walk the path we are to choose. He calls us to live completely in line with the word of God and thus the will of God. How many more minutes have I got? Should I be stopping now? Yes, three more minutes. Okay. To just finish off, I want to give us five realities that would help us keep things in perspective, especially as we seek to follow Jesus in a counter-cultural kingdom. Three things. On your own, later on, you can read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Five realities that would keep you going as you seek to follow Jesus. Number one reality is this. God. Amen. God is not an idea. In the beginning, God. We can stop there for the rest of our days. God is not an idea. He is a person. We're made in his image, and he leads us. It's a fundamental reality. As children of God, hold this together in your mind. God is real. God loves me. God cares about me. He is my father. Number one reality, God. Number two, from the Colossians passage, Christ seated at the right hand of God. Every morning when you wake up, remind yourself about that. Who's seated at the right hand of God? Christ. He's seated at the right hand of God. Third reality, the fact that you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's amazing. What that basically means is that 
the worst is behind you, you can look forward to glorious things. You have, the Bible says, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I love that. Number four, Christ will appear. Keep that reality before you as children of God. And the fifth reality to help us as we seek to follow Jesus in being obedient is this. When Christ appears, we will appear with him. Five realities to help us as we follow Jesus. God, number one, Christ seated at the right hand of God. The fact that we have died and our lives are hidden with Christ. Christ will appear even though currently his presence is hidden. He's here, but his presence is hidden. We will see him. Finally, when he appears, we will appear with him. Maybe the band can come up. I'm just going to pray for us. I thank you, Jesus, that you were obedient from the beginning to the end. You didn't cut corners. You didn't choose to go your own way. You could have, but you set us an example. You sought to do the will of the Father who sent you. You you lived a life that honored and glorified the Father. And I just pray, Jesus, that as your people, we will see you. We will know you. We will trust you. We will depend on you. We will be those who seek to follow in your path. So I just want to lift every man, every woman, and every child to you and say, Lord, help us. Even now, Lord, I pray that in this moment, Lord, we will just see you as you truly are, high and lifted up. Open our eyes to see the beauty of our Savior, and let that spare us on. <laughs> let that continue, Father Lord, to lead us as we seek to walk in obedience to our Father in a world that seems to go so much against what you are wanting to go for. Help your church. Build your church. In your name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. God bless you, church.